Welcome to the C2C Podcast. I am your host, Derek Anderson. After holding my first event in 2010, I went on to create Startup Grind, a 400-chapter community based in over 100 countries. Along the way, I discovered the greatest marketing tool of all time, your customers. Yet, I couldn't find anyone sharing how to build a community where people could experience your brand in person or at scale. On this show, we talk with the brightest minds and companies on the planet about how to build customer-to-customer marketing strategies and create in-person experiences for your brand and customers before your competitor does. Today, we're going to talk to Corlin Allens, the founder of Indie Hackers. Indie Hackers is a community of developers who share their strategies, even revenue numbers behind making their companies and side projects work. Indie Hackers was acquired by Stripe. Corlin started Indie Hackers from scratch and now has a community of more than 50,000 members. Let's hear how he built it and what strategies he used. Take a listen. Corlin, I would not be doing my job if I didn't start this out by talking about Kenny G. And I know that he is really the person that you've looked up to most in your life. And I, I have to say, I know I know a lot of people that this is the case for, but I'd just love to hear your reasoning for why he has meant so much to you. Please tell our audience. Kenny G has the hair that I wish I could. Kenny G uh, <laughs> just plays such smooth Don't, vibes. Do we have to, are we going into the hair already? <laughs> going into I the mean, hair immediately, Derek. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you feel left out in these conversations, but I do too. <laughs> no, when I was a kid, I just loved smooth jazz for whatever reason. I don't know why. I guess my dad would always play it in the car. And when I was in the fifth grade, I decided I wanted to play the sax. And so Kenny G was my role model. I played the sax. I took lessons. I got really good at the saxophone. I was like high school level when I was like 10 years old. And no yeah, kidding. I was really good at the sax. It was like my second love next to computers. So if you play the sax, who else are you going to look up to? I mean, I guess well, this is the 90s. I could have looked up to Bill Clinton, but he had that whole scandal going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I guess. And when you went to MIT, it was like, do I do computer science or do I do the saxophone major? And you just kind of flipped a coin. It was before what? that, actually. In high school, I was, okay. I was in the band and I was in the jazz band as well. And I had to decide, okay, do I want to keep taking band classes as my elective or do I want to take some more computer pre- classes? And it wasn't that hard of a decision, to be honest. Financially, much better <laughs> payoff to, to be in the computing. And honestly, if I look at where my passions actually lied, the sax was something that eventually my parents had to tell me to practice, whereas the computer was something that my parents had to tell me to get off of because I was on it all the time. So it was a pretty easy decision. Well, that's a, that's a great segue uh, into Indie Hackers, the community that you founded. And we're grateful that you made that uh, personal decision because if this if you had founded, you know, saxophoners online, like we wouldn't be talking or know each other. So tell us about how Indie Hackers got started. I heard you you started with a community called Nomad List, if I know it correctly, and just love to know where, where did this emerge from? Where did it come from? Yeah. So I had basically taken a year off of working because I wanted to start a startup. I had been contracting before that because I was burned out from my earlier startups and it was time to give it another spin. I spent the first six months of that year basically just wasting my money, paying rent basically and coding all these apps that weren't really going to go anywhere. And then I looked at my bank account and I saw that I was pretty much half down on all the money I had saved up. And I was like, Jesus, Corlin, you idiot. You need to get serious. And so I went back to the drawing board and I said, okay, what do I know about startups? What do I know about building successful businesses? Why don't I actually put that into practice instead of just writing it down on a sheet of paper somewhere and ignoring it? And so I decided to basically come up with a brand new idea 
that would incorporate all of sort of my best learnings for how to start a startup. And I started brainstorming and started researching to find out other ideas that people had created to basically give me the inspiration that I would need. Because that's the one thing you can't really you know, just get from a book. You need inspiration on something you actually want to work on. And so after reading a ton of different ideas online that other people had worked on, the one that stood out to me the most was what you just said, Nomad List. Nomad List is a community created by this guy, Peter Levels. And I liked everything about it. I liked his persona online. I liked the way that his business worked. I really liked the way that he got started, his sort of roadmap for building his community from scratch. So I ended up creating an idea that was a combination of Nomad List and a combination of the process that I was going through at that time, which was trying to find stories of other founders so I could learn what kind of company I wanted to start. So I was like, okay, well, what if I created a company that was a community similar to Nomad List, but instead of helping digital nomads find a city to go to, I help people like me who are trying to find an idea, you know, get their bearings, find an idea, read other people's stories, etc. And so I basically copied Nomad List's playbook. I started off with aggregating content in one place. I took all these stories that I'd been reading in various places online, on blogs and internet forums, and I tried to formalize them using an interview format and put them all on my website. And I took all the comments that I saw people making online about, okay, you know, what kind of business did you run? Like, how did you get your first customers? How did you come up with the idea, etc.? And I baked those into my interviews as questions. So everybody I interviewed had to share how they came up with their idea. Everybody had to share how much money they were making. Everybody had to share how they found their users, etc. And it sort of grew from there. Interviews got a lot of traffic. From there, I was able to build a mailing list. The mailing list got a lot of subscribers. From there, I was able to start a community because I created a forum and then just continually emailed out links to people on the email list week after week until eventually it started to pick up some steam. And now Indie Hackers, two years later, is primarily a community before everything else. Before you'd ever built any of the online pieces of it, you had an interesting tactic to gauge if people would actually be interested. Can you, can you share what that was? So I've got, I had a few of these actually in different points in Indie Hackers' life. For example, when coming up with the initial idea, my tactic to see if people would be interested was basically just idea validation, right? How do you know someone's going to use your thing? Well, either you test it out on them or you see them using it elsewhere. And for me, I knew Indie Hackers would work or I was confident that Indie Hackers would work because I saw so many people sharing these stories elsewhere online. And so I figured, you know, if they like reading these stories on Hacker News or they like reading these stories on Forbes, then why aren't they going to like reading these stories on my site if I do a better job telling them? For the community part of it, uh, my validation was sort of putting up a fake page. So I put up a fake page on the website from day one when I launched that said, hey, this is the Indie Hackers Community Forum. Enter your email address here if you're interested in joining. And then I would track how many people were joining my mailing list because they clicked over to the forum tab, how many people were joining my mailing list because they read an interview, etc. And once I saw that there was a lot of interest in the community forum side of things, then I decided, hey, I should actually build this idea out before I actually built it out. So I don't know if this is a specific validation to which you're referring, but probably every step of the way with Indie Hackers, I, I did some sort of check to make sure that people would be interested in what I was doing before I started building it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really helpful to hear because a, a lot of people, myself included, you know, it's it you sort of, you and you're doing this as well. Like you start solving your own problem. You're as a, as a founder of a community on a lot of these interviews, we don't actually have the founders. So this is really cool to hear your experience, but we're sort of doing it because it's helping us or it's something that is is solving a problem that totally that we have and so but at the same time that can't mean that you can just be complacent and be like well I don't like that so I'm not going to do it like it sounds like you had a very data-driven approach which frankly a lot of community people do not take and so it's, it sounds <laughs> like that really helped you to figure out what was going to come next and what were you were going to build next in for the community 
Totally. I think building a community that solves your own problems that you want to be a member of is super important. But at the same time, you can't take it for granted that everybody is exactly like you. Even people who are pretty close to you might have their own quirks. So it helps to really test things out on other people as well. It's it's inevitable, right? Even if your community is based on people who are just like you, at some point it's going to grow and it's going to include more people. And at that point, you're going to have to learn how to talk to those people and find out what they want. And it's going to have to be more than just flying by the seat of your pants and doing whatever feels intuitive to you. So I think the earlier you can start that process, the better, even though it's still good to start by building something that you yourself would enjoy. You're a Y Combinator alum, and there's a famous saying there, do things that don't scale. And as you think about that in your own experience, what were some of the things you did with indie hackers that might not have scaled, but were really helpful to sort of build the momentum behind what became the community? A ton of things. The very beginning of indie hackers, it wasn't a community, it was just an interview website. And I needed interviews. I had nothing. And so I decided, okay, the best way to get interviews is just to reach out to these people whose stories I've read online. And I'd read hundreds of stories by this point. So I sent something like 150, 200 emails, cold emails to people. Every one of them was customized, written from scratch based on that person's story. And I basically told them, hey, I'm Cortland. I'm starting this site. I'm going to basically try to interview entrepreneurs like you and get you to share your revenue numbers and how you did it. And 99% of people I talked to are just like, no way, dude. Why would I share my revenue numbers for my business was some no-name website. You know, your community doesn't even exist yet. Pass. But a few people said yes, and that was enough to get the ball rolling. And like that was my strategy for the first couple months of Indie Hackers, just sending tons of cold emails. Like it wouldn't scale forever. Now I get a lot of inbound requests. I would have killed myself if I had to keep doing that for the rest of my life. You know, I don't enjoy sending hundreds of cold emails every week, but I think that helped get the ball rolling. With the community side of things, once I started basically driving traffic to the forum, it also started off empty. And how do you get a community? From an empty state to a point where people are actually talking, well, you need to provide some value. So what I did was use sort of the Reddit fake accounts model, where for the first few weeks of ND Hackers, 100% of the accounts on there were just me talking to myself, asking questions, answering them, recommending websites and tips and tricks. And so then I would send out these fake conversations over my email newsletter and say, hey, look what people are talking about on the forum. Maybe you should join. And every now and then someone from the newsletter would click into the forum and start talking to me, not realizing that everybody they're talking to is really just me. And so for a few weeks, it was that was pretty much all I was doing. And then, you know, every week after that, I could participate a little bit less and the community would sustain itself a little bit more. And nowadays I can go days, you know, without, I could probably never post on the Indie Swarm again and it'll be totally fine because there's tens of thousands of people on there who are making their own content. It's really cool. And I mean, it's uh, trying to put myself in your shoes and A, that sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like a lot of thankless sort of grunt work. And I think a lot of people don't, you know, who likes to do that kind of work? Like who, like nobody, like nobody raised their hand like, oh, I'm excited. Like, so, like, I can't yeah. wait to like put that on my LinkedIn profile. Like, like created fake profile accounts and had conversations with myself for several weeks. Well, in an, in an, you know, an echo chamber of my own, you know, my <laughs> own mind. So like, but that's sort of what it takes sometimes, right? It's just like buckling down and doing that work. And I, you know, wonder, you know, if, if think, put yourself in the shoes of somebody that's in a company Maybe they're, they're not starting it, you know, from scratch. Maybe they're sitting in a cube somewhere. But still, like, what would you tell uh, somebody that's running a community and sort of looking at, like, how am I going to get the inertia for this going? What kind of encouragement, what kind of advice would you give them having started your own community? I think what you point out is, is very important. It's a lot of work. Before I started Indie Hackers, I remember following this guy, Nathan Barry, and his tiny company, ConvertKit. And he would send out all these emails every week and he would blog all the time. And it seemed like he was just putting in so much work. And I got exhausted just reading his... Like, I was tired just subscribing to his email newsletter. I was like, this is so much work. I'll never do this. 
And then I found myself doing the same thing with any hackers, you know, a year or two later. And so my response to that is I think things seem like more work than they are before you get started. It's like going to the gym. You don't want to go, but once you're there, you just start lifting weights. I went for a run this morning. I haven't run in like six months. I just put up this barrier in my mind where I don't want to go. But like once you get out and you start running, it's not that bad. So I think a lot of it is just get started, figure out a way to like start super small, make that first step easier to take. And then once you start making those fake posts or sending those cold emails or writing those blog posts or doing whatever it is, it's kind of the grunt work that that's sort of thankless. You end up realizing it's not as bad as it looked from the outside end. And the other thing I'll say is that a lot of times doing these things that don't scale, like they're just, they're important because you're actually communicating with people, right? When you're doing things that don't scale, generally that means you're talking to people one-on-one, right? That means you're having these conversations on your community. That means you're sending these emails. And when you do that, you end up getting a lot of valuable information that you wouldn't get otherwise. Like I heard no a lot of a lot of times from people who didn't want to do an interview on indie hackers. And that helped me refine my pitch for how I could entice people to do interviews. I heard a lot of questions on the forum because I was participating that if I had just sort of tried to automate it away and make sure it ran on its own without my participation, I just wouldn't have learned the things that I learned. So I think it's important to do that as much as you can in the early days because you really need to learn. And later on, when you no longer you know need to do these things that don't scale, ideally, you still take the time to participate and be involved one-on-one because otherwise you're going to stop learning. You have this really thriving customer-to-customer community as well with, with events that have been popping up. Can you just tell us how that's come together and what's how big is that at this point? What are the plans for that? Yeah, so... Around this a year and a half ago, I think we had the first ND Hackers meetup. It was totally unofficial. Somebody on in the forum was like, hey, let's meet up in SF. And a bunch of other people replied and said yes. And I'm a huge introvert, so I'm like, ah, I don't want to go to a meetup. So I don't think I even went. <laughs> I think I stayed <laughs> home and a bunch of people in the ND Hackers community met up and got drinks. And then they had another one a month later. So I decided, I, you know, I, I got to get off my ass and go to this. And they just kept happening. And eventually around last summer, my boss, Patrick, was like, hey, Cortland, why don't you like do something to support these. Like, you know, why don't you appoint people to become official ambassadors or something? Patrick is in Patrick Hollis and the CEO, co-founder of Stripe. Yes. The CEO yeah, of Stripe okay. is my boss. That's a good push. That's a good person. To <laughs> it is. So he says things I, I tend to listen. So I'm like, okay, well, at that point, I think I had put up a little meetup forum on my website where people can meet up in real life just so they could sort of organically do it. And it was happening a few times a week all over the world. But then we put up a forum that said, hey, apply to become a, an official ambassador. And it was no different than the forum already. It was just more hoops to jump through. Because the forum that existed was sort of like post your meetup. This one was, tell us why you want to do this. Tell us what's, you know, what your ideas are for meetups. Tell us how you're going to grow. Tell us all these things about yourself like so we can vet you. And hundreds of people applied to become an ambassador. Wow. A lot of them in, in repeat cities. You know, We had like 10 people apply from New York City, for example. But that was kind of the birth of our meetups program today. So today we've got... I think this month we're going to have around 55 or 60 meetups in cities all over the world. I mean, these wow. are just indie hackers who are eager to meet each other. Like they're very eager to meet other people who have an interest in starting online tech companies in their cities. And a lot of them don't live in tech hubs like San Francisco or London. So it's, it's novel for them to, to meet somebody else. And I think the indie hackers website and community is a little bit of the backbone that allows them to find each other when otherwise it'd be very difficult. Yeah. And I mean, has it, has it changed, you know, things? Do you, do you sense a shift in how, a, people view what Indie Hackers is because of that extension? Do, has it created negative impact? I mean, has it created like positive things? Like what, like, how has it changed the perspective? 
It's a lot of things. It's certainly positive. There's nothing negative that's come about as a result of the meetups. Except that you have to go to them. Except that I have to get over my introvert <laughs> tendencies and actually go to them. I spent a lot of time actually flying around and going to cities that I've never been to just to check out the meetups there. I went to Hawaii. I'd never been to Hawaii just to start a meetup there. And then somebody else who attended took it over and now they do it every it month. It sort of sounds like you go in disguise or something. I mean, do you like, are, do they know you're coming or are you just kind sometimes of like Sometimes I say so. Sometimes them? I drop in. Oh, wow. <laughs> But I think one of the coolest things about the the in-person meetups is the energy. Like people, when they meet up in person, it's just palpable. And you get to see what, like, what does 10 people in a room look like? What do 20 people in a room look like? Our London meetup sometimes has hundreds of people. Like, what does that look like? And online, you know, our our community is something like 50,000 people. It's, you don't really get a feel for what what is 50,000 people. You don't really know. But when you see how significant and how energetic 10 people together can be, it's really powerful. And I think, you know, the meetup numbers overall are much smaller than the online community numbers. But the people who go to the meetups tend to be the most engaged people on the online community as well. And so I think it's infectious. The pictures they post from their meetups, the write-ups they do from what happens at their meetups, they all get people on the website charged up. They get me charged up as the community organizer too. And success, like as you're tracking success with the C2C program, like what what does success mean? What does it look like? Like what makes it worth the, the time and the energy to to do all of that work? For us, it's very difficult to measure because... The goal of any hackers is really we want more people to start companies. And we want these people who start companies to make better decisions so their companies succeed. Right? How do you measure whether or not people are making better decisions to their companies? How do you measure how many people are starting companies? Well, we just send out surveys and we ask. And we ask, okay, well, what parts of any hackers do you engage with? Do you engage with the, the podcast? Do you engage with the community forum? Do you go to meetups, et cetera? And pretty consistently, people who go to meetups start more companies. They find co-founders. They solve all sorts of problems that founders have that are very difficult to solve in an online format. So I like that, you know, the, the C2C, the customer to customer part of it is crucial, I think, to any community, right? There's only so much I can do to help you top down. I can't find everybody a co-founder, right? Everybody needs to, to sort of do that work on their own. And it's helpful to have this like in-person format where you can have these fluid conversations and engage and walk around the room and talk to different people and find out what they're working on. It really helps any hackers solve each other's problems in a way that's far better than I ever could do with a blog post or even a newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this. If you'd like to see more about how to create your own event community, go to bevylabs.com slash pod. Again, that's B-E-V-Y-L-A-B-S dot com slash pod.